Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we're talking about investing, as opposed to other things. Investing, your money. <laughs> Lauren, my <laughs> daughter doesn't like me to do that. Last time you said, like time you, said you didn't that. know what, uh, what definition to use or what description to <laughs> use, and today you just went with investing. Investing. What more do you need to know? Okay, so what's investing, Danielle? Investing is when you put money into something with a high degree of certainty that more money will come back to you in the future. That is freaking gold-plated. Oh. Outstanding. You look up investing in the dictionary, you see a picture of Danielle. 130 episodes. Oh, that's really good. That was really it good. That's exactly right. Approximately 97 hours for me to learn that. <laughs> but you got it. And that's huge because most people think of investing as all kinds of things, you know? Um, they, they think putting money into Picasso is a Picasso painting is investing, you know? And um, we think it's speculating. So those are different. And we want to keep in mind why. When we invest, we should have a very, as you said, a very high degree of certainty that we're going to come out really good on this thing. We're going to come out with more money than we started with down the road, typically over a 10-year view of things. And then we put all kinds of, you know, ideas or rules on how to do that properly, which yeah, is, of course, the source of the Yeah, but that's where you and I podcast. disagree on the Picasso example, because you always use things like, oh, like venture capital investing is not investing and like art investing is not investing. But... I would argue that for some people, they do have a high degree of certainty in those situations. Like you don't have to do only public stock market company investing or or real estate investing, which are your two examples of investing usually for it to be investing. It's just about the certainty okay, that makes it investing. Let me let me offer you this. What's the cash flow on a Picasso? Uh, zero. Zero cash flow on a Picasso. So how do you know what to pay for it? In other words, how do you know you're going to sell it for more money later? Because it's entirely market-based. Right. So which means you, ha- you, can you sell have it for to less know the art later. market. Yeah, you could sell it for less money later. And is, you know, the art market is loaded with fads. And I grant you that Picassos have stood the test of time. But that doesn't mean that because you paid $35 million for Picasso, some greater fool is going to come along and pay 40 You no, just hope it, they will. It doesn't mean that, but it doesn't mean that in company investing either. Just because something has cash flow, it doesn't mean the market's going to reflect that cash flow. And that's pretty much what we talk about all the time or all the, all the moments in time when a company's cash flow is not reflected in its market price. But it will be reflected in its market price with a great deal of certainty compared to a Picasso, which has no parameters around which you can figure the value. You only have to, you only thing you can do is say somebody paid more at Sotheby's last year. But with a company, while it's very true that the market will fluctuate all around its value, um, Ben Graham said, I think very accurately a long time ago, that the market um, you know, it, on, on the short term is a voting machine. It's just a motion. People vote however they want to vote. But on the long term, it's a weighing machine. It'll tell you what that thing is. And so that's very different than a Picasso. You you don't have a clue. If you pay $35 million, you don't know. You, you have no idea. 
if in fact there'll be somebody to come along and pay 40. All right. But I'll, t- I'll a- take your point on that with something that's a, what's a good term? It's a, art is not really a commodity, but I guess you could say it's a commodity. It's a, uh, that type uh, of a, thing, like that category. Yeah. Uh, of it's investing. a collectible. Collectible. That's a good right. Thing. It's a, you know, it's a, it's art, it's stamps. Um, right. To, cars, classic cars. Right. Classic cars. Um, and we're talking, we're, we're talking about Bitcoin and we kind of wonder where does that guy fall into the whole picture? Well, Bitcoin and yeah, I was just thinking that. So currency, not a collectible. It counts as a commodity, right? It's its own world. Currency okay. is currency. Okay. And what makes a currency um, valuable is that it is a storehouse of wealth. In other words, you're putting, when you go out and labor away at something, you know, you dig a ditch for, you know, eight hours, somebody's going to hand you a check. And that check represents your labor. Or they're going to hand you cash and it represents your labor. Uh, there's a certain degree of faith going on there that you're going to be able to store your labor value in that paper. Mm-hmm. And somebody over here is going to, you know, accept that paper in exchange for you having a place to live and food to eat. Yeah, you're accepting that it's reliable. Yeah, it's actually going to store that wealth. And that's a real problem for defining a cryptocurrency as currency because they're so volatile um, number one, in terms of what someone will give you for it, right? In terms of their um, their your rent, in terms of clothing, in terms of food, it's very volatile. What somebody? I mean, Bitcoin has gone uh, down by fifty percent multiple times and back up within weeks. So huge volatility. So are you really storing your wealth from your labor there? Do you want to store it in Bitcoin? And second, Bitcoin inevitably gets converted to a currency. Yeah, yeah. You're going to convert it to yuan in China. You're going to convert it to dollars most everywhere in the world. It's not accepted in its own right as payment for bread unless you convert it to a dollar figure. There are some places where you can pay with Bitcoin. Sure, but they're going to judge it in terms of its dollar value that day. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I actually, I actually read about um, the big, the big four accounting firms. You know, are all trying to figure out what to do with Bitcoin, and a bunch of them have even started their own uh, cryptocurrency sections to to catch up with the blockchain technology. And uh, and I read that one of them has a Bitcoin ATM in their lobby where you can go and get actual money out for your Bitcoins. And I was thinking, well, if one is worth $6,000, that's the biggest ATM payout I ever heard of. I'm only allowed to get $400 at a time. But actually, one of the beauties of Bitcoin and blockchain technology is that you can split it up almost infinitely. Oh, fine. Details. So you can remove 0.1 Bitcoin, and there you go, 600 bucks. (laughs) Someone solved the problem. Yeah, sure. They, they got it handled. But at the end of the day, nobody that I'm aware of will take Bitcoin the way um, a grocery store in the United States will take a dollar. The grocery store in Canada will take a Canadian dollar. The grocery store in Argentina will take a peso. The grocery store in Europe will take a euro. 
they'll do it without checking against the dollar how much that's worth. Yeah, you mean that they won't take it as its own intrinsic value currency. No. It's always compared no. to other current, like they always uh, convert it into another currency before. Except. Exactly. So in that regard, it's much more like a commodity like gold or yeah. silver, yeah. where somebody's got to convert that into a known currency. So we got to say, by that definition, it's not, cryptocurrency is the wrong word for it, but we'll use it for the time being. And then, then you got to wonder, okay, well, if it's not a currency, what is it? Right? What is it? Is it a storehouse of value? No, it's you're going to be converted to dollars. But the reason people started it was to store value away from central banks mm -hmm. and governments so that there would be something that would hold its value. So now the problem is, you know, you go buy a Bitcoin right now at $6,000. Is that going to hold its value or is 6000 going to become 12000 It's going to be a phenomenal storehouse of value and go up like crazy. The trouble is nobody really knows. And so Bitcoin has become this enormously volatile, bounces up and down in price. And because of that, it's a big trading uh, uh, currency now. I mean, I think there's millions and millions of people who are trading Bitcoin. Now, that doesn't mean that it's something you're investing in. It just means it's trading, like mm. Picasso's or whatever. There are so also it's other really other cryptocurrencies out there, and I don't know enough about them to really comment on them at all. But the point is, there's competing currencies, and they have some differentiating factor to them that makes people want to buy them versus a Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I believe, was the first and is certainly the most well-known, but there's no... I mean, somebody who knows more about this than I do would have to say, but I, in theory, there's no reason one of these other currencies won't rise up and eclipse Bitcoin. So it's not, it, Bitcoin is, is almost like the Kleenex of, <laughs> of tissue paper. It's like become like the, the branded term for cryptocurrency, but there could be others coming up. So as far as investing, I think question one is cryptocurrency at all. And then question two is which one? Well, investing, no, no cryptocurrency. <laughs> and trading, absolutely. If you want to trade, this is a great place to do it because it's so volatile. These things are moving around 15% in a day. Whoa. And that's why, you know, we have friends who've made millions of dollars just guessing on the right side of the trade. But here's the reason that other cryptocurrencies are coming out. As far as I can tell, uh, they don't offer any advantages over Bitcoin, except I could be wrong technically, but I mean, in terms of technology. But the only main thing is they're cheap by in terms of their relationship to the dollar. So Bitcoin is six thousand dollars a coin right now. Maybe it'll go to twelve, but it's harder to go from six thousand to twelve thousand with a bunch of traders just in terms of the psychology of doubling the price of the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm than it is to go from one penny to two pennies in a new cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just psychologically. There's no difference at all in terms of, you know, the rate of return or anything, but it's just so much easier. This is, of course, why people trade penny stocks. It's just easier to think about it moving from a penny to, to two pennies. And it does move easier from a penny to two pennies than from 6,000 to 12,000. The problem you got with this, guys, is that you just got to pay attention to, to what both sides are saying, and you got to make your own conclusion. But I'll, I'll give you the information about Jamie Dimon, Danielle, and that is, this is a smart guy, okay? 
He's a smart guy. He's part of the establishment. I grant you that. Yeah, give us, give us who Jamie Dimon is before you tell us what he thinks. Okay. Jamie Dimon is one of the richest guys on the planet. Plus, <laughs> he is the CEO of JP Morgan, ah. which is, of course, this huge investment bank. And here's what he said. He said it's worse than tulip bulbs. It's just a giant fraud. Somebody's going to get killed in this thing. It won't end well. Um, and the the reason he, he's saying tulip bulbs is because of the famous, you should go look this up. It's hilarious. The famous tulip bulb bubble that happened back in the 1700s, I believe, in um, in Amsterdam, Belgium, Holland, all that area. People started thinking that tulip bulbs were rare and their price started going up. And so people invested more money or traded more money into tulip bulbs. And then they would especially look for the very rare tulip bulbs that would produce very rare tulips. And this thing took off. And ultimately it got to a point where some tulip bulbs were selling for $1,000 a bulb. And then and this was finally in like everybody woke 17 up. something or other. Like yeah, a thousand dollars back then was probably like a hundred thousand now. I mean, it was insane yeah. the tulip bulb bubble. I think it's the funniest story, especially just because it's all about tulip bulbs. A movie even came out recently, all about it, which unfortunately was terrible, so nobody saw it. But it's just such a like inherently great story. And then, of course, like with any good bubble, it crashed horrifically, and. Uh, Everybody who was hoping for a greater fool, well, everybody holding them at that moment, hoping for a greater fool, because all the people before them found the greater fools, they lost everything. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. It was, I, I'm just Googling it. It happened in the early 1600s. Oh, I didn't know it was 1600s. that early because they didn't even start trading stuff until the 1600s. Like the, the Dutch invented the first stock market in the 1600s. So. Yeah, probably the tulip bulbs were the result of the invention of the first <laughs> yeah, stock market. <laughs> and the rarest tulip bulbs were trading for the average person, six times the average person's salary. So let's say the average person in the U.S. is, let's making, say, making 50000 So that would be a tulip bulb at three hundred grand. Yeah. in today's And dollars. this is literal, by the way, a real tulip bulb that you hold in your hand that like is brown and you put it in the ground. That's what it just cracks. I'm like, it's just so funny. <laughs> it is. It is the result of stock exchanges. 1636 stock exchanges were trading in a lot of Dutch towns and cities. So over about three decades, the invention of the stock market got around in Holland and um, they were trading all kinds of stuff. And then they got into this tulip mania. It's so crazy. I love it. So, so amazing. I love it. Yeah. Um, Oh, oh, the movie was called Tulip Fever. Yeah, it's supposed to be really That's bad. I didn't see it. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of, in some ways, the, the, you know, the dawn of a new era. At that time, it was the idea of stock markets, of course, like right. trading something that doesn't really exist. And then it ended up trading these things that have no inherent value. And, uh, and now we're looking at blockchain. And, and we talked a bunch, just so you guys know, if you didn't listen to the last episode, we talked a bunch about blockchain last time. So check that out. Um, it's To me, that's the real interesting investment opportunity here. I think currencies, I mean, I don't invest in currencies even like normal ones. So a cryptocurrency is already a bit of a departure. And as you said, you think it's speculating and not investing because there's no inherent cash flow coming off of it. But 
there are really interesting blockchain companies coming up that are going to have cash flow coming off of them. And that's something yeah, so, to understand as investors going into the future. Right on. So Mark Cuban, who's a pretty astute investor, Mark Cuban's on the Shark Tank, right? Um, he's a billionaire. He owns the Maverick uh, basketball team down in Dallas. And what he's done, he's he's said that he thinks that Bitcoin is a big bubble and that it'll pop. Um, he doesn't know how much it'll pop or anything like that. But he is using the blockchain technology to create his own cryptocurrency. What do you mean his own cryptocurrency? Yeah. yeah, he has started his own cryptocurrency. I can't remember much about it, but check it out. Google it. Um, he has started up a cryptocurrency for the purpose of buying certain kinds of assets. What? And he's the guy running that so one. So it's like, yeah, exactly. wait a second, I'm like blown away by the intelligence of this. So essentially, he's created a fund out of cryptocurrency. As yeah, in, I guess, as yeah. in, well, he's raising he's money. He's raising money to go buy yeah. stuff with this particular currency. And if you want him to go buy stuff, you buy the currency. That's really a cool way to say that. I didn't think about it that's that way. That's crazy. Yeah. I think that's Everybody right. Everybody look out for the SEC to get really excited about that one in the future. Well, now that is, remember we were just talking last week about how Putin's coming in to regulate, yeah. China's stepping in to regulate. Um, the the cryptocurrency guys are doing ICOs. They're, they're doing initial coin offerings <laughs> of new versions of cryptocurrencies. <laughs> And um, and he started. Okay, Mark started this thing called Ucoin Gold, Unicoin Gold, okay. Unicoin Gold. And um, this, by the way, is in a Fortune I article. I hope that Google it has a Cuban. picture of a unicorn on it. <laughs> no, you not unicorn. No, I know, but he's making a play on unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a sports betting blockchain platform called Unicorn, which is spelled K R N. And there, maybe it's illegal to use money online to bet on sports. So maybe Mark is moving around this with this crowdfunding sort of thing of doing an initial coin offering to get capital that's not dollars. And now you can bet on sports. Maybe that's what they're doing. They've raised 10 million bucks. That's cool. Including money from Ashton Kush. Oh, wow. So there you go. <laughs> the noted investor. Ashton uh, I think that that <laughs> is really cool to know about. And I, I, I love the innovation coming from somebody who doesn't really care if he loses $10 million. Like, I love that he's like out there just being like, let's try this and see what happens. We need people like that yeah, doing that kind this. of thing. Because I'm certainly not going to be. Because somebody's going to think of yeah. something that is absolutely valuable. It's going valuable to work at and, some you know, point. Okay. That's why blockchain is so important for us to know about. And I'm actually, I got to say, I was not too excited about talking about this stuff, but I didn't know what it was. And now I, I, I understand blockchain a lot better. And I'm seeing why all of these startup companies are popping up. I mean, like, I'm trying to stay in the startup world as much as I can. And I'm getting all these financial companies coming around, especially I live in Switzerland now, and there are conferences specifically on fintech and blockchain regularly. This is not a flash in the pan. This is happening. And I think that, first of all, startups, yes, because that's where things start. But then um, 
established companies in the banking and financial world are trying to figure out what to do with this technology because they don't want to be left behind. I don't think it's because they're so excited about it. I think it's because they don't want right. to be taken over and made obsolete by it. And that's something to look I mean, at. Think about it. If you're a if you're a bank, you got to be a little bit For worried sure. about this. You might want to get For in sure. front of this. That's thing. what they're trying to do. Because that's what a bank does. The bank keeps the ledger for your account in the bank, and it, it it basically stands for that credibility that says, when I write you a check, Danielle, the bank is standing for the credibility that that check will come through, and they're going to guide that process. And I don't have any money in there. The check will bounce. Then you can come after me. Now, the blockchain's way ahead of that. I can't write you a check. I, I either have it or yeah, I don't. Yeah, a doubt. bank is the middleman. And the way the blockchain technology... This cuts out the middleman. And the way it does it is it's setting up all of these network nodes every time a transaction happens, which is basically saying that Danielle is the payer sending, you know, one Bitcoin to fill town. That is broadcast through the network on these nodes. And basically this distributed database goes out and it publishes this about six times an hour. So this information is going out there and that prevents double spending that it's just you can't you can't write a check against your account and then go write another check against your account and then go write another check against your account it doesn't work like well, that so what so, does warren buffett say um, about it because you mentioned that he wasn't such a fan well he's not such a fan in the sense that he thinks that the uh the process isn't uh the process of actually using oh, a bitcoin okay. to pay for something is no different really than writing a check it's just a lot faster, and maybe it'll turn out to be a lot more secure. But that was um, that was about four oh. years ago, and I haven't heard a word well, from Buffett eternity. since. And that's an eternity. And that might mean he's gone and he's taken another look at this thing and started to realize that um, this could actually threaten Wells Fargo, which he has a huge investment in. And um, you know, he would probably want to really learn about this to find out if this is starting to put an end to the need for a bank, for example. Or if right? established so banks I, yeah. are actually a useful component to this whole thing. And I just don't understand the technology well enough to have an opinion on that yet. Or if established banks will set up their, I mean, if Mark Cuban can set up his own cryptocurrency based on Ethereum or something, any bank could do the same thing, which means it would almost go back to the days when banks issued their own currency based on gold. Right. I mean, I can have Bank of America dollars because I know I can walk into Bank of America and exchange it for gold. So maybe we're headed someplace like that. What is for sure, though, about this, you guys, is that blockchain is here to stay. It's probably going to get more sophisticated. Probably the early versions of it will have issues that break. And you may want to keep that in mind when you're jumping on Bitcoin or Ethereum, that maybe something's coming down the road that'll be better. Um, if you like to trade and you want to be in the Wild West, this is definitely the place for it. You want to take a shot, but don't even begin to think you're investing. You are not investing. You are gambling and you just got to make sure you know the And when it comes to investing, it's knowing about the blockchain. It's seeing what the companies you're interested in are using the blockchain for and having a sense of how that's going to affect your companies in the future. Oh, yep. I got something right. So, I think you got it. 
I think that's it. I think I think we're good with blockchain. I think that's where we're going with it. This isn't where you learn how to trade and gamble. This is where you learn how to invest. And I think that we're going to have to say that blockchain as a technology is very investable. Bitcoin, not so. And we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. See you guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play. <laughs>